the little treasures that are being dismissed. And my name is Pastor Norla Vendique. Uh, my wife Carrie's with me today. I live in Sioux Falls. It's uh, been a while since I've been here. But, uh, praise God for the opportunity to, to be with you again this morning. Um, it's Sunday. It's, a, it's worship day, right? It's resurrection day. It's a, it's a party day. It's every Sunday is a reminder of Christ's resurrection. It's not Easter, but every Sunday is a reminder of Christ's victory. And we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate that by being community. We get to celebrate that by hearing God's word and being encouraged uh, both by God's word but also by each other. And so we're going to begin... Uh, with a question, I guess. Uh, how many of you wear glasses or have contacts? So if I were to tell you or ask you to take them out or take them off and spend the, the rest of the day without your glasses or contacts, how would that go? Not well for most of us, right? I have uh, a mother who is I would guess legally blind without her glasses. So I learned at an early age what what value, how important spectacles can be. And that's that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning. We use the old-fashioned word of spectacles. And a lot of us have them, and a lot of us have a form of them, but we also have sunglasses. So I can't hardly see you right now pretty dark. I was actually going to ask Gary to have everyone wear sunglasses to church this morning, but I forgot to do that. I could probably do that next. I'll be here next week too, but it's so important for us to see clearly, right? Uh, without glasses, without spectacles, without contacts, we can get ourselves in trouble, especially if we're driving. Um, it, it's clarifies our world for us. It allows us to read. It allows us to, to take in all of what is around us. And that's a, a lot of what we're going to be talking about and how we see that, how we use those spectacles, what spectacles are we using. And we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 30. I think we're actually going to be 22 32. Um, and Gary, Pastor Gary asked me to preach on because of Pentecost. Well, Pentecost happened a little while back, but we're going to talk about what happened at Pentecost briefly and how that affects how we see things, how we view things, and how we are empowered to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Before we read any passage, just a reminder that uh, spectacles or glasses uh, were not such a common thing, obviously, in, in Peter's day. In Peter's day, somewhat like ours, however, there's a lot of the same dynamics going around, right? Although we don't have to fear for our lives, Peter and, and the disciples and the followers of Christ, this is now about 50, 60 days since Jesus' crucifixion, um, I would imagine they were a bit fearful. I would imagine they did not understand or really know what, what could happen. Were they going to get hunted down? Were they going to be imprisoned or even crucified? Uh, so a lot of uncertainty and a lot of division, again, against people that were radically following Christ 
people radically against Christ. Sounds familiar. So we're going to read uh, these passages, the scripture verse. Uh, but before we do that, I want us to think of John Calvin. I'm sure Gary brings up John Calvin every time. John Calvin wrote, Scripture is like a pair of spectacles which dispels the darkness and gives a clear view of God. This is how we know who Jesus is. This is how we know who we are. And we use Scripture today to focus on who Christ is, but also who we are in relationship to, the, to that. I couldn't help myself. I'm assuming John Calvin did his class. I don't know. Uh, a lot of scholars did. But let's read uh, Acts, beginning at Acts 2, uh, verse 22. And remember, we just had Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. There was a the sound of a rushing wind. And You know, when we have those aha moments, when we, like the light bulb comes on above our heads, I like to think that that's what happened at Pentecost, only they had fire, rather than the light bulb, right? So they had this aha moment of who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And all throughout what we're going to read now is Peter trying to, again, identify who Jesus is, to make sure they, the people that they're preaching to and teaching to, understand that Jesus Christ, the one who just was crucified, is who Scripture has been talking to or about. And he's going to bring up David. So look for ways that Peter identifies who Jesus is in this passage. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man crucified accredited by God to do miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you know yourself. You know this because you were witnesses to it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. And pointing out Jesus, this man. The end was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, and he's talking about the Gentiles, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. the different ways that Peter's using scripture to inform the crowd who Jesus is. There's one... We've often heard Jesus being described as someone from Nazareth. That was a prophetic message. And then there's this word, accredited by God. And that, that's really, Peter's trying to have them think back to the offices of the early church uh, of prophet, priest, and king. That's, in our catechism, that's what we talk about, that Christ has these three offices, plays these roles in our lives as prophet, priest and king, and here he's saying God ordained that. God appointed him to do that. God accredited Jesus to do this. This was his role. This was what was foretold in the Old Testament. This is what David talked about. 
And now he's fulfilling that. And then he's showing his power and authority over death. Even though he was put to death, he is showing his power and authority. Let's go on to verse 25. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before him, before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fulfill me with joy in your presence. Peter's saying this, but he's quoting David. These words are from Psalm 16. Once again, Peter's identifying who Jesus is using David. And David is probably, well, he's one of the early fathers, right? That's where faith is built on. And, and they would know and respect and honor what David said. So Peter, again, is using Scripture, things from the past to point to who Jesus is. David is talking about Jesus as a prophet, of who Jesus is as the Messiah. Jesus is being told as a promise keeper. He's telling him, David's telling them through Peter that God has made promises and Jesus is fulfilling those promises and even giving them a glimpse into eternity. Verse 29. Continue to watch. Peter, saying again, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. David is a historical figure. You know David. He was alive. We've learned the scripture. David is real. Verse 30. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. It's a promise that was given to David. It was a promise that goes back to, to Abraham. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, talking about David, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. So if Jesus, or excuse me, if David was real, David is in Scripture. David is telling us that Jesus is who he says he is. We all witnessed it. So what are you going to do with that? What, what comes next? And that's the part that we're going to spend a little more time on. It's part of how Pentecost changed their view of how they looked at the world around them. It changed how they saw who Jesus was. It changed how they interacted with each other. That's what Scripture has done from the beginning, going back to Exodus when Jesus took, or God took the Israelites out of the land of slavery. He took them into the desert to Mount Sinai and taught them and gave them rules and commandments so that they knew how to live with each other, how they would, re, we would be in relationship with God. Once again, Scripture is laying this all out for the people 
to live in and respond to, giving them a clearer picture of how to live life, but also how to live in view Jesus. Next week, we're going to dive a little bit more into verses 33 through 36. But I just want us to think again about, because of Pentecost, we have been given a different set of a way, spectacle, different a viewpoint of how to look at life. Calvin, once again, the whole point of Scripture is to bring us to a knowledge of Christ. And having come to know him and all that this implies, we should come to have or come to a halt and not to expect to learn more. Scripture provides us with the spectacles through which we may view the world as God's creation and self-expression. It does not and was never intended to provide us with an infallible repository of astronomical and medical information. So this is all about how to live, how to live in relationship. It's not going to be the manual on how to heal people from a physical ailment. It's not going to be a manual about what's in the heavens. It's it's about how to be in relationship. So once again, what are you using to view God's world? How do you view the universe? How do you view what's around you? How do you view your neighbor? How do you view anything that is not, well, actually, it's how we look at ourselves as well. How do you view the tomb? How do you view the cross? Is it truth? Is it fiction? Is it something that you have centered your life around? Or is it something that, well, this is Sunday and this is the rest of the week. This is how I live with my family. This is how I deal with my customers. This is how I deal with my coworkers. Is there a, a split in how we see things? How we live through things? Jesus again promised his disciples that there would be a Holy Spirit would come and be their comforter, that he would be their guide. He would be that light bulb and give them clarity. He would be their spectacles and give them power to see the world around them, to see things differently, to see things more clearly. We live in, a, in an age where Things just seem to be, well, we, we thought we were kind of coming together uh, as a nation or as a people or as a church, and then something else comes up and then just kind of rips things apart. And over the last number of years, I think we wouldn't, we wouldn't get too much of an argument that that gap is deepening, is, is widening on how we see things. Uh, within our nation, even within our churches. How, we, how do we look at Scripture? How do we look at events around us? How do we look at George Floyd? I'm, I'm sure the minute I brought George Floyd up, there's some picture that you had of who he is, about 
the whole situation, about the things surrounding it, the police force, the community, the whole idea of race. All of us, we, we create these boxes and categories and we start arranging those things and whether we want to admit it or not, how we learn how to look at things is how we see George Floyd. It's called a worldview. And I know Unity, Wayne does a really good job of keeping this in front of the students and when it was at Dort, it was drilled in. I know it's drilled in you at Northwestern and other Christian college. What is your world view? How do you see God's world? How do you see issues? Well, sorry, I kind of messed that up. I learned a lot this year looking at life in different situations um, and how to look even at George Floyd's situation. What you can't see very clearly is up would be in your top left-hand corner is my son-in-law, Mark. Mark is black. And his perception and his view and how he looks at George Floyd is completely different than being white Dutch and growing up in Sioux County. What's not pictured there is right behind the little girl is my son Nick. He's a pastor in Edina, Minnesota, just two miles away from where George Floyd died. And his perception and his view and how he's had to deal with different things is Again, completely different than what we have to deal with here, away from Minneapolis. To get my directions. To my right, to your right, is my nephew John, an Omaha police officer. You can imagine that his perspective and his view and how he looks at the situation is different. And I'm guessing it's different yet for him because he has an adopted daughter who's black. Actually, two of them. We all have ways that we see things and view things that guide us and shape us in how we respond or how we act or how we don't act. But the beauty of all of what's happened is that each of them has taught me something and helped me see something. And what they did, I praise the Lord for, is that they looked at it through the eyes of Scripture. They looked through it with the eyes of Scripture looking at the value of life. the value of, of neighbors, the value of law and order, the value of respecting each other and each other's property and dignity, and how to respond to people who are hurting in a different way, in a, in a way that you don't understand. 
And again, it's all being brought through the spectacles or the vision of what God says. And it changes, it at least changed me, how I look at, I'm using this example of George Floyd, but there's a hundred, maybe thousands of different ways that that divide and that rift in our nation is, is in our churches is getting wider and wider and wider and deeper. And I would like to argue that it's because we no longer use Scripture to view the world that we live in. We have created our opinion. We have been guided by what we believe is right and wrong. We've been guided by media. We've been guided by experience. We've been guided by a lot of different things that have sometimes little, if anything, to do with God's Word. The little girl in the front picture is my granddaughter, Talia. I love this picture because she's learning how to put on glasses, sunglasses. And they don't fit. And you know how a one-year-old, will, what they'll do to glasses. <laughs> if they survive, which these didn't do too bad, is a miracle. Because we want to put on the spectacles, I believe we do as believers, we want to have God's word influence us, but we, we get them twisted and mangled, and, and again, we're trying to make them fit. And it doesn't work that way. We can't take a verse from the Bible over here and make it affirm or confirm whatever, this is called confirmation bias for psych majors, to gather all this information to confirm our bias or our point of view and protect our point of view. We need to use all of Scripture. All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is breathed by the breath of the Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of men and women who wrote and lived Scripture. It's a recording of their story. And their story within God's big picture and God's big story. And again, the temptation that we have is to make it, make the Bible fit what kind of lifestyle we want to have. Or change what God created and what God ordered to be. John Gates, or Ben Gates, uh, is a character in a movie called National Treasure. I love this movie. In the movie, they're out to look for this treasure. And one of the clues that they have are these glasses. And these glasses have oscillating or uh, movable lenses. And they're looking at this treasure map. And he's moving the lenses, and as he does that, parts of the map appear, parts of the clue appear. And when he puts on one color, it hides part of the message, and it reveals part of the message. 
And so he's, he's flipping through all these different sorts of lenses trying to put the puzzle piece together. And, I've, and when I first thought of this, I thought, oh, that, that's a really cool idea that you know, we have all these different points of view, and when they all come together, we can clear, clearly see the treasure map. But as every analogy has its good things, it has its bad things. The, the bad thing is, is that when we try and look through different lenses, we distort something else or we lose sight of something else. So to me, the only real way of seeing our world clearly is through the picture-perfect lenses of God's Word. And again, it helps us to look at the cross and the tomb. It helps us to look at our world and the things that are happening in and around us. So again, I want to ask the question, what, what do you see? How do you view God's world? Again, going back to Pentecost, Peter is reminding them of who Jesus is and how he's what the early part of Scripture is testifying to and who Jesus is. And he's using Scripture. And I think that's our pattern. We, we need to get back into Scripture to see who Jesus is, the reality of Christ, the reality of of sin and death and Jesus' power over the grave. Even though that all around us there's what's happening in Peter's world where there's fear. We don't have quite that fear here because more people than not are in some way, shape, or form understand who Jesus is. That isn't true in our world. Our culture is, is stuck at dividing itself. Those who claim to be tolerant are becoming so much in, intolerant that you can't even talk to them anymore. And I think the church has been guilty of that too in some ways. Scripture also reminds us that I've seen to this day, even to this day, when o whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It, it shouldn't surprise us that, that our world is dividing, that our nation is dividing, that our, even our churches are dividing. Because we've lost sight of Christ. We've lost sight of God's Word. But every time that we turn back to the Word of God, that veil, that distortion, that lie is exposed. Abraham Kuyper, another theologian, Dutch theologian, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ 
who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This is God's world. This is what he created. His, this is what he has intended in our being stewards of our world, of the world that God gave us in the order of that. That's an instant, clear picture of, of God's grace. And in knowing God's world, we become better equipped to know ourselves. Once again, as Calvin says, knowing yourself begins with knowing God. And how many people aren't searching for themselves, aren't looking for themselves, aren't trying to understand where they fit? Scripture is pretty clear how God views us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not die, but have eternal life. And often we cut it off there, but we have to also remember verse 17, that God sent his Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we do a pretty good job as the church of condemning those around us. That's God's job. Because of Pentecost, because of the church being empowered by the Holy Spirit, because of God's word, we can respond differently. Rio de Janeiro, or no, yeah, there was, there's, there's a probably ten monstrous statutes of Christ around the world. I did not know this. This is probably the most famous one in Rio. It stands on a mountain over top of the city. The thing is 125 feet tall. And it was commissioned to be built uh, after World War I because of the division in the country. Um, I'm actually going to read part of this. A group of locals started becoming concerned about the lack of religious faith in the Brazilian community. And it was hoped that by placing a massive statue of Jesus atop a mountain, that it would rebel against what they saw as increasing godlessness, reminding that Christ is over all, reminding that Christ redeems all. We, we need a statue, right? No, we need believers to have Christ in them. To be reminded that the cross is what clears things up. It reminds us that we look at life differently because of the cross. My dad died about six years ago, and we're out at the grave. It's a beautiful, crisp March day. It's, it's chilly. Um, actually, the robins had arrived, and we could, I could hear robins singing. And we're sitting in those chairs in the front row under the canopy by the, by the gravesite, and they had just put the, the, the coffin on top of the, the lowering device. 
and the, the pastor was getting getting situated to, to start talking, and then there was that moment where it just gets quiet, and it was just still. Even the birds had quit singing. And right behind me, a little ways, my son, and he was holding his granddaughter. It was about five. And in, in that stillness, in that quietness, he goes, Daddy, is that the hole to heaven? A little light bulb went on. That, that flame came on. And I preached about it a million times, about not fearing the grave, not, not fearing death, but to think of the grave as the doorway to heaven is, is to have the right kind of spectacle, to have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit acknowledging clearly that even some of the most basic things that we see and experience are not always clear. And usually are not clear unless the Holy Spirit speaks, unless God's Word speaks. And there again is why it is so important for us to focus on not only God's Word to speak to us, but allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to acknowledge who Christ is. And we all love this word, right? To surrender our will. And when we're fighting over who's, who's in control of things, we often don't see things clearly, we don't hear things clearly, and we don't respond the way that God would call us to. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We praise you for what you have created, how you've created us, the gift of, of order and of your word. Lord, help us daily, Lord, to have a hunger and a passion to devour and, and consume your word so that our eyesight would become more clear, that our vision would no longer be veiled, that you, Lord, would empower us to see things as you see them. Lord, guide us by your truth. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us as we sing.